Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Genesis chapter 1. If you're like me, you had, your Bible don't want to lay flat in Genesis chapter 1. I had to find a Bible that's so beat up it will. I've come to the conclusion that many others have reached, and I'm real careful about how I say this. I don't lay, label one passage of Scripture as more important than the others because it's all inspired of God, which makes it all inherently important. But I believe that Genesis 1 through 11 are the most critical chapters in all of the Bible. Now, why do I think they're so critical? Because, you know, you view them against John, Romans, Revelation, but if you can't trust God's Word about how things began, you can't trust God's Word about how it says things will end. There was a time that most Christians of all stripes, of all denominations that believed the Bible to be God's word and believed in salvation by grace through faith alone and believed in living for God and helping others to do the same. There was a time that most, if not all of them, accepted Genesis 1 through 11 with a literal and historical perspective. But now we're seeing more and more embracing a symbolic or allegorical perspective on these chapters. There are now alternate views of these chapters being advanced even in our quote-unquote conservative seminaries. Views that employ terms like theistic evolution, day-age theory, and so forth. As we examine this section of scripture this morning, we're going to see that God clearly instructs us in four matters that are critical to our worldview and indispensable to those who want to live and die in service to our Lord. And though it's often neglected and mistreated and abused, we're going to look at this simple idea this morning. Why Genesis matters. Why Genesis Matters, Father, would you help me to rightly divide your word of truth today? We're going to plumb the depths of some pretty important things, and I need you to help me to do it right. Any way that you want, would you move me out of the way of this thing? Would you magnify your word and elevate your son? For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Why Genesis matters. Listen, and I'm not opposed to studying other parts of the scripture. I know right now within our church family, there's a study going on of prophecy and all of that. That's great. That's great. But I ask you, I can't think of the last time somebody came to me and said, oh, pastor, can we spend some time going through Genesis? And yet it's critical. It's critical. Genesis matters. Genesis matters, number one, Regarding our roots. Now what do I mean by our roots? I mean from where we came. It matters regarding our roots. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heaven and the earth. We are so used to that verse that it doesn't pack a punch with us anymore, does it? But, but think about this. In the beginning, the way that the, the Jews in Hebrew express that thought is interesting. It literally means in the head of time. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. God didn't just create everything that we see. God came up with the concept of time. He dwelled in eternity past. And don't spend too much time working on that one. Or I will see the smoke rising from your brains. But he dwelled in eternity past. And said, okay, it is now. There's a word there that speaks to time. Time to implement time. Everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that we use to mark our existence was God's idea. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Every bit of it. We are the result of the direct creative work of God Almighty. Now let me just go ahead and let you know this. I am one of those rubes, one of those weirdos, one of those intellectual lightweights, one of those morons that believe that God created everything we know in six literal 24-hour days. What an idiot. I don't think so. Let's talk about why. You see, some would have us to believe that everything we see around us is the result of chance. One big cosmic accident. Boy, that'd make a good greeting card, wouldn't it? Doesn't it feel wonderful to know that you are a cosmic accident? with no real purpose, and when you die, it won't matter. That's uplifting, isn't it? But that's exactly the narrative that evolution would have you believe. Why does evolution have the the following that it does, even though it makes no sense mathematically or scientifically? Why does it have the following that it does? Because evolution is the only way that man can come up with that they don't have a God to whom they answer. Well, Andy, you probably don't know this, but the word for day in Hebrew yom can mean in a large amount of time. You're right. It can. And it can also mean a 24-hour day. Well, how do you know which one it's talking about? Verses 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 21 The evening and the morning were the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth day. Now, let me tell you a little bit of Hebrew. The words for evening and morning only mean evening and morning. 
I'm not trying to be glib or smart, Alec. I'm just saying people that would try to hide behind intellectualism to find evolution here are showing just how much they're not using their intellect. God says when he gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 11, he says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. He follows up and says, I did this in six days. Okay, fine, Andy, you want to believe that, that's fine, but why can't we allow for theistic evolution? Why can't we embrace the idea that, yeah, God did the creative work, but, but he sovereignly decided to use evolution as his means, that he, that he, you know, he did use millions of years to accomplish this, because, I mean, he's outside of time. He can use as much of it as he wants. Why can't we marry the two? Two reasons. Number one, the Bible just doesn't teach it. It just doesn't bear out in the text. And to embrace that is to go against the Bible. Here's the second reason. If you do that, if you embrace something like theistic evolution, you start a terrible slippery trend of filtering the Bible through the world's philosophy instead of filtering the world's philosophy through the Bible. The Bible's not under any... uh, any, uh, obligation to line up with the world. The world needs to line up with the Bible. Romans 3 verse 4, Paul kind of wedges this in there. Let God be true and every man a liar. You see, Genesis matters regarding our roots. And again, if I can't believe that God is powerful enough to make me He's not powerful enough to save me. If I can't believe what the Bible says about his creation of this world, I can't believe what it says about redemption. I can't believe what it says about grace. I can't believe what it says about answered prayer. I can't believe what it says about his provision. I can't believe what it says about anything because if it starts off wrong, it's wrong all the way through. Genesis matters because of our roots. Number two. Genesis matters regarding our resemblance. If our roots speak to where we came, our resemblance speaks to how we are made. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Let's talk about that us for a second. I don't know of anything that more clearly speaks to the Trinity than that. We've already seen the Father and we've already seen the Spirit hovering over the waters. We know from Colossians and Hebrews that Jesus is the one that actually spoke the creative work. Okay. So all three members are there, but I would ask you just, and, and for those that are visiting, my hip acts up sometimes, so sometimes I sit down here on this corner. It's not because I'm trying to find some cool new way to preach. Hey, everybody, let's have a rap session. No, it's not that at all. All right. But some would say that... Uh, um, Well, the us there just speaks to his majesty. 
Like when Queen Victoria would say, we are not amused. Now that's true, that is a literary device that's used in English, that's true. But it's a whole lot easier for me just to grasp onto the idea that God has not yet created any people. So when he says us, he must be talking to other persons. Is it that far out of the realm of possibility that he's talking to the Son and the Spirit? No. Us is plural. Let us. And then he says, make man in our image. Now, God's a spirit. We're not spirits. We have a spirit, but what we see of one another is our body. So what does he mean? He means that we're going to possess some of his attributes. Ideally, we'd love to possess all of his all of his righteous attributes, wouldn't we? Now, I can't create, and I can't. I'm not omnipotent, and I'm not omniscient, and I'm not omnipresent. And the world's glad I'm not omnipresent. They don't like me being just where I am as it is. But, but, can I strive to be holy? Can I strive to be love? Can I strive for those attributes? Absolutely. But it goes a little bit further than that. It speaks to our worth. It speaks to our purpose. It speaks to our value. And while apes and other primates may resemble us a little bit, they weren't created in God's image. The truth be told, if you look at the early development of a baby, I said a baby, not a fetus, a baby. You look at the early development of a baby... Really early on, they look a lot like fish. I've been told that we say we share a certain amount of DNA with bananas. And there may be some things that we share, some characteristics that we share. Oh, I'm told pigs are super smart. Right. Not smart enough to avoid the pit, but you know. Um, and I'm glad they're not that smart. But only one creation is said to have been made in the image of God, and that's man, humans. Okay? Something else. Humans, specifically Adam, are the only part of creation that God touched when he made them. Did you know that? Everything else he spoke into existence. Let there be light. He spoke everything else into existence. But verse number 7 of chapter 2 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What do we take from all of this? Man has an inherent value and dignity and purpose that nothing else in creation does. Now, I am not at all in favor of being cruel to animals. I'm not at all in favor of, of being, um, of being uh, prudent in how we deal with animals, but at no point is an animal ever more important than a person. We have a beagle. He's not a bad dog. He's just completely useless. <laughs> he, he just he doesn't really serve a purpose other than whatever joy he brings us, which is more at times than others. His name is Otis. We named him Otis because when we got him, he could not walk a straight line to save his life, and so he reminded us from Otis from Andy Griffith. <laughs> so we named him Otis. 
I do love that little dog. And me and that, he imprinted on me or something when I brought him home because he tends to favor me over the rest of the family. I'm, I'm his guy. And uh, I love that little dog. And if he'd behave, I'd love taking him places. With, he won't. I tried once. That didn't go well. Um, but I want to make it clear. If something in him snaps and he attacks one of my children... Otis is no more because he's an animal. We are living in a society in which we either put humans on the same level as animals or we put animals higher than humans. Again, I'm not trying to be unkind, but if running tests on a monkey saves my kid potentially from cancer... Test the monkey. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, I'm trying to make a distinction here. Because all across America, kids are being taught that they are nothing but evolved animals. And then we are shocked when humans act like animals. My Bible tells me that we were created in the image of God. And that that gives us dignity and purpose and value. And I want my kids growing up knowing that you were made in the image of God and that holds you to a standard. That God expects more of you than he does a dog. He expects more of you than he does a cat. A whole lot more. He expects more of you than he does a primate. We're not just mammals. You know how you define a mammal? If it has fur and gives milk, it's a mammal, which means a coconut is a mammal. That will be what some of you leave here with. Evolution robs man of his God-given significance and purpose. Evolution is why we can destroy babies by the thousands and think nothing of it. Evolution is why racists can look at one color over another and say this one has value and this one does not. Adolf Hitler was a rampant evolutionist. So forgive me if I'm not that keen on my kid being taught that they're nothing but an evolved animal. You see, Genesis matters regarding our roots, and it matters regarding our resemblance. We are made in the image of God. By the way, if I am encountered by somebody who lives a lifestyle that we would find wrong according to Scripture, periodically I throw this out there so people know where we're at. Homosexual sin is wrong. Heterosexual sin is wrong. Changing somebody's gender identity is wrong. It is. Are there people that struggle with these things? They are. There are. And because they too are made in the image of God, we still should treat them with love and dignity because that's how God made them. 
There's never a reason to be unkind and mean-spirited. But at the same time, I'm not going to stand and affirm something that's obviously wrong and that God didn't do. See, We've got to learn to see people in the image of God because that's how they were made. But then we've got to show them from the Bible how they can be fully, fully conformed to the image of his son. And that's what we're after. That's what we're after. Number three. Genesis matters regarding our roots from where we came. It matters regarding our resemblance, how we are made. Number three, it matters regarding our reality, where we really stand. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, admittedly, there's a whole lot of things we've got to unpack in this matter of sin. Adam represents us federally. That's a great theological term that we do not have the time or the energy to get into this morning. But what it basically means is, in Adam representing us federally, it means that all of us would have done the same thing. Any of us in that position would have, would have messed up, just like Adam and Eve did. So then you get into the thing of, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why do we have, Adam's the one messed up. Why do we have to get into all that? Why, why is that held on against us? And that's a fair question. And there is an answer for it that takes a long time to work it through and everything. So rather than deal with the fact that, that he federally represents us, and rather than deal with the fact that we are sinners by nature, and we are, we are sinners by birth, and we are. I ask you, any of you that have had a child in your life, whether it was your own or your niece or nephew or whatever, how long was it before that precious, sweet little baby demonstrated his or her ability to lie? Not my little sweetums. Then yours is probably the worst. When would they lie? When they figure out that if I cry a certain way, there's nothing wrong. But if I make mom, dad, or usually grandparents think there's something wrong, I'll get held. I'll get out of this bassinet. I'll get to do what I want. You see, babies tell lies. And toddlers tell lies. Preschoolers tell lies. Kindergartners tell lies. All through elementary, they tell lies. Junior high and high school, they rampant. No, they tell lies. <laughs> you know why? Because their moms and dads tell lies. We are sinners by nature. And we are sinners by birth. And I realize that's a tough thing to swallow. And there's a whole lot of philosophical things we can get into and in all of that. But could I ask you to embrace this one truth that you know is true? We are also sinners by choice. Yep. Yep. 
We don't have to unpack the sinners by natures and the sinners by birth and that Adam is our federal head. And we don't have to unpack all that today. But we do have to come to grips with the fact that every one of us in here has sinned. And when we do so, we do so by choice. I choose to sin. There's never been a time that I've ever been forced to sin. It has always been a choice. And when Eve and Adam took of that fruit, they made a choice, and their choice was to rebel against God. And every time we choose to sin, we choose to rebel against a holy, righteous God that demands perfection every time. And so you say, well, but I don't do it that often. I'm a pretty good person. Well, let's say you're 20 years old. Let's say you've been an adult for 20 years. 365 days a year, would it be reasonable to conclude that you come short of his glory at least once a day? That is more than reasonable. Once a day times 365 days times 20 years of adulthood, sin starts adding up, doesn't it? What's the cutoff line? How much sin is too much for God? I got news for you. One. James tells us if we offend the law in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. How many, how many, how many thefts does it take to be a thief? How many murders does it take to be a murderer? How, how, many, how many adulterous relationships does it take to be an adulterer? And how many sins does it take to be a sinner? The answer is one. But we all know that we're sinners by choice and that we have just racked it up and racked it up and racked it up and racked it up and racked it up. So you tell me why a holy God should let any of us into his perfect heaven. He shouldn't. And the only way that his righteousness can let us in is if our sin is paid for. And the only way that you and I can pay for our sin is by spending eternity in hell. And Genesis is what gives us the foundation for our reality. Without Genesis, we don't have a clear picture of what we are. No concept of our true condition before our holy God. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. All of us. Genesis matters because of our reality, where we really stand. It matters because of our resemblance, how we're made. It matters because of our roots from where we came. But I got good news for you. There's one last reason that Genesis matters. It matters regarding our resemblance, our roots, our reality, and the sin thereof. But I'm glad to tell you that Genesis matters regarding our redemption what we really need. November's not so far away. The signs are already popping up. And we're going to have no shortage of politicians telling us what we need. What you need is a tax cut. Or what you need is a tax increase. What you need is for the rich to pay their fair share. What you need is reproductive freedom. What you need is equal rights for all. By the way, I'm all for equal rights for all. I'm not for creating rights for individual groups. I think everybody, can I just get a little, can I just remind you there's no such thing as different types of justice. There's justice and there's injustice. 
There's no such thing as racial justice. If somebody's mistreated because of their race, that's injustice. Okay? There's no such thing as social justice. If somebody's mistreated, it's, it's injustice. If, if, there's no such thing as, as gender justice. There's no such thing as religious justice. There's no such thing as Judge Judy's justice. Justice, injustice. That's the only two categories, y'all. And we ought to be for justice, right? Justice. Okay. But people will say, well, you need justice. You need social justice. You need racial justice. You need economic justice. You need athletic justice. You need, you know, we can just add anything to it you want. Musical justice. I mean, they'll add anything to it. You need streaming justice. Netflix costs too much. You know, that kind of thing. Can I tell you something, friend? They're going to tell you all kinds of things you need, but I'm going to boil it down to its essence for you. All you need is Jesus. That's all you need. Now, you can want plenty of things, and that's okay. But it's just like we sing. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All that I need. You know what the point of that course is? Christ is all you need. You see, Adam and Eve tried fig leaves, but they didn't need fig leaves. They tried a good hiding spot, but they didn't need a good hiding spot. And can I tell you, there's people all over the world today that are trying to cover themselves with the fig leaves of their own invention. They're trying to find good hiding spots where they don't have to answer to God. That's not what you need, friend. It's not going to help. You know what Adam and Eve needed? They needed the shed blood of a sacrifice. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You ever wrestled with that verse? Well, how did they not know they were naked? They had nothing to compare it to. They, they had no point of reference. It's just like your little kid, that same little baby that lies. That baby can run around the house with no clothes on. It has no idea of the social conventions that they're breaking. They're just free. But there comes a point in their life, one would hope, that they come to understand this is not ideal. This is not how it should be. And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are like, wait a minute. This isn't how it should be. And then God asks them, well, who told you that? Well, he knew the answer. You, you like when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He just wants you to come to grips with what the answer is. Your parents do that a lot too, don't they? What were you thinking? I wasn't thinking anything. That's exactly right. You weren't thinking anything. (laughs) And so what did God do? Look at verse 21. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make them coats of skins and clothe them. That means somewhere in the Garden of Eden lay a couple of carcasses, dead animals that God slaughtered and took their skin, blood and all, 
and put it on those people. It's the first time we see demonstrated what we need. Friend, can I tell you something? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you don't need false theology, you don't need pious platitudes, you don't need worldly philosophy, and you don't need man's invention. You, just like all of us, needs the shed blood of our sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Just as God slaughtered those innocent animals in the Garden of Eden, they'd done nothing wrong to cover the sins of those who did. About 2,000 years ago, God took his only begotten son and took your sin and my sin and laid them on his, his boy and stood back and allowed sinful, rotten mankind to judge him falsely, to beat him, to spit upon him, to blaspheme him, to beat him with rods, to scourge him with the cat of nine tails, and then to nail him to a cross. And Jesus for six hours hung between heaven and earth, and God poured out his wrath on his son in our place. How can God let sinners like us into heaven? Because Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price that we owed and suffered our hell. God turned away from him. Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, was out of fellowship with his Father because he who knew no sin had become sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) There came a point that God saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Sin had been paid for. The debt was square. Jesus cried out, it is finished. They put him in a grave, and three days later, he rose again. He walked into the Holy of Holies in heaven as our high priest, carrying a basin, not of the blood of bulls or goats, but of his own blood. And he took that hyssop, and he put it on the mercy seat there in the temple in heaven. That mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, either is that mercy seat or is a picture of that mercy seat. There's different views on that. But it operates the same way. What was inside of the Ark of the Covenant? The law. The law that condemns us. The law that says what sorry, no good, rotten sinners we are. Where did God dwell? His presence dwell between the angel's wings, the cherubim's wings on the mercy seat. It's called the Shekinah glory. And when the high priest would put that blood on the mercy seat, God in his presence would look down and he could not see the law. All he could see was the blood. And the Bible says in Hebrews that this man went in and offered himself as a sacrifice for sins once. Not every year on the Day of Atonement. One time, because it was sufficient. 
It was enough. He put his blood on the mercy seat. And for all eternity, if you'll appropriate that blood, if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will never again see the sinful state you once were. All he will see is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, because that's what you need. What you really need is not man's best ideas or the next social program or psychology. What you need is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What this world needs is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't need Donald Trump or Joe Biden. It doesn't need the greatest governor in the world. It doesn't need a new Supreme Court. We thank God for good people that serve in all of those things. But what this world needs now does not come with an R or a D at the end of it. We need the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what this world needs. And it's up to us as Christians to tell people that's what they need. Well, they'll think we're crazy. They won't listen. That's not our concern. Our concern is that we tell, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because that's what this world needs. And without Genesis, we never really understand that. Oh, Genesis matters. Genesis matters. It matters because of our roots. It tells us where we came from. It matters because of our resemblance. It teaches us that we're made in the image of God and have dignity and purpose. It matters because of our resemblance. It matters because of our reality where we really stand. And it matters regarding our redemption. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. What's the so what? That last verse I just read to you. So the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Up, see there? Not everybody will be made righteous. That means that Jesus' atonement was limited. The only people that can be saved are the elect. The only people that can be saved are the ones that God has chosen for salvation and excluded, not the ones that he's excluded for damnation. That's not what that verse means at all. When it says many shall be made righteous instead of all shall be made righteous, all that means is there's going to be a whole lot of people that aren't going to take advantage of this. Jesus can save all, but he won't. Because there's a whole lot of people that have decided, even if they believe in a God, even if they believe in the Bible, they're going to do it on their own. They're going to work their way there. They're going, to, they're going to trust their baptism. They're going to trust their church membership. They're going to trust their feelings. And others are going to say, well, I don't think there's a God at all. And they're just going to trust the unknown. I say this lovingly, how foolish. You see, if at the end of this thing, at the end of this thing, if we get to this thing and I was wrong, I haven't lost a thing. All right, I was wrong. There's nothing on the other side. But if you believe opposite and you're wrong, you've lost everything. Everything. So, obviously, there's an application for Christians here. These these things in Genesis, our roots and our resemblance and our reality and our redemption, all of that speaks to us, and it speaks to how we ought to live as Christians and how we ought to approach other people. We know that, and we need to act and respond accordingly. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, more than anything, you need to understand that you were made 
by an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, holy, loving creator. And he made mankind perfect, and mankind messed it up. But rather than trashing us all, he sent his son to die. Why? Because he made you in his image, and you matter. I don't care what kind of sin you're steeped in. I don't care what your struggle is and how bad you're losing the battle. I want you to know you matter. You're precious. You're made in his image, and you have purpose. But you're only going to realize that as you realize the reality of where you stand before God. So what do I do? You call on his redemption. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I am pleading with you today to come to Jesus. I'm not asking you to join. Don't get me wrong. You'd be welcome. But this isn't about baptism or joining the church or turning over a new leaf or becoming a better you. This is about realizing you're a sinner in need of the only Savior there is, Jesus Christ, and trusting him today to pass from death unto life. That's your so what, and I plead with you. Come forward. Let somebody take you aside with a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Every head will be bowed, every eye will be closed, but honestly, that doesn't matter. There's nobody in here that would think less of you for coming to Jesus. We'd rejoice. Amen. But I want to make it as easy as I can for anybody that needs Jesus to come. Nobody will be looking around. Folks will be praying. And I'm asking you today, if you're a lady, we'll have a lady. If you're a gentleman, we'll have a gentleman. They'll take you somewhere private. We're not going to parade you in front of everybody. We just want to show you through the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Christian, as you consider your roots as you consider your, your, your uh, resemblance, as you consider your uh, <laughs> reality, thank you, as you consider his redemption, should that not draw you to get closer to him? Should that not make you think the Holy Spirit spurs thoughts in your mind? Boy, I could work on that. Man, that's something I need to take care of. I need the Lord's help in this. Maybe you've got something on your heart got nothing to do with this message. I'll tell you, this altar is a great place to talk to God about it. If you need somebody to pray with you, we're happy to do it. Maybe you've been praying about your next step of baptism. Somebody can take a Bible and show you why we believe what we do about baptism and why that's the next step for a Christian. Maybe God's been speaking to you about joining this church. If, if we've already talked and God's moved on you about that, come sit up here. i got cards to fill out. I'll put you before the church today. You say, well, Andy, I haven't talked to you about it yet because I like to answer any questions somebody might have. Then come see me and say, I want to talk to you about this. Okay, let's go eat. Now let's talk about it. But, but maybe there's a Christian here that it's time, whatever your next step is, baptism, church membership, getting more involved, it's time to take that next step. Don't wait. Don't halt between two opinions like, Jonas, like, uh, like Elijah said. Get busy and do what God would have you to do. Amen. Whatever God's laid on your heart, that's your so what today. Genesis, what a great book. What a critical book.